Um, Leviticus chapter 21 um, speaks of the holiness of, um, that God requires for the priests and the high priest to abide by. And there is a holiness that we're called to as Christians. And the Bible tells us that we are to be holy just as God is holy. And again, you know, I, I have to say this with that is that um, we're not called to perfection for the Lord knows that we aren't perfect, uh, but he calls us to holiness and we are to pursue it with a submissive and humble heart before him. So again, that's what we're going over here in Leviticus chapter 21. Um, the whole book of Leviticus talks about holiness and how it is that um, God in, in his word tells us and in his instructions that he gave to Moses uh, to pass along to the Israelites um, sets a standard by which he is to be worshipped and the people are to remain holy, to be holy. So maintaining holiness within the priesthood is a whole theme of this of this chapter, and it actually goes on into chapter 22 as well, but we're only going to cover this chapter this evening. So in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy, gave him instruction as to the selection of overseers within the church. We know that uh, really well as we um, can take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Don't turn, turn there because I'm just going to quote a couple verses here at the very beginning of that chapter. Um, but in that chapter, he gave certain prerequisites, things to observe and pay attention to, young Timothy, as a pastor, to select men who, were, um, who, who met these qualifications. These were to be taken into consideration for the selection of elders and deacons, to bring them along, filled with the Spirit, God's wisdom, and these items. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, is what the Bible tells us. Above reproach. And then he goes on to actually describe a life that is above reproach. And he gives many different examples some that are to be personal characteristics of the person that is being considered for these two positions, for being an elder or a deacon. We see how it is that these characteristics are also to be evident in the man's marriage, within his family, and also, by the way, outside of the church, socially, in the world that we live in, and that he lives in and participates in. So, really, the first item, the only item we can say, along with how meeting this is lived out within the life of the person, is to be a person above reproach, to be a man above reproach. That when they say, you know, they, they throw the mud up against the wall, that nothing sticks, nothing can remain. In fact, another thing that kind of came to mind is. Uh, Acts chapter 6, there was a complaint that came from the Hellenists, uh, and this was toward the disciples because the widows were being overlooked to receive regular care. In Acts chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, 
Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And so he gave this, these qualifications um, to those within the church and said, Hey, among you, select these men that are full of the spirit and of wisdom, but are of good repute, above reproach. That's what was the prerequisite, the qualification to even be considered for this work. And this was for taking care of the daily uh, necessities within the church. Number one, of course, having a good reputation within and without, and without the ch- being spirit-filled, being led by the spirit according to the will of God, which is the word of God and not men. And number three, being full of godly wisdom as well which goes with being spirit-filled because this is a person who understands how to rightly apply the knowledge that they gain in God's word to daily life. That's really important. Sometimes we can get this head knowledge, but it not necessarily translate into daily life, which a life of faith, a life that walks in the spirit is one that knows how to apply the word of God. This evening, we're dealing with God's instructions to the priesthood that are specific to the maintenance of their spiritual integrity before God. They were to maintain, and in in, this is the standard, this is what God has called them to, maintain, keep up with their spiritual purity, their spiritual integrity. What we need to keep in mind is that the Levitical priesthood represented God to the people and the people to God. Now that is a sobering reality. To be in that place to where a priest, a man, a person is representing the people to God in the other way around. And it was to be taken seriously. And God demanded that it was, was taken seriously. So let's take a look at how it is that the Lord lays this out for the priest to maintain or abide in holiness. Verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister, who is near to him because she has had no husband. For her he may make himself unclean. He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people and so profane himself. Let's stop there. Now, there's a distinction that's made between those who serve the Lord as high priests and those who served within the tabernacle uh, as high priests and then those who served as, you could say, regular priests. And so this, the first section that we're going to cover, has to do with, you could say, the regular priests, not those um, that would be considered to be high priests that would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year, and, uh, and those were designated as uh, to do such a thing in, in other areas of responsibility. So priests, these priests were forbidden to touch dead bodies, with some exceptions, as we see here. And I, as I said earlier, the priesthood had a special and serious responsibility to represent the people before God and God before the people. And therefore, they were held to a higher and stricter standard by God. 
They were required to maintain their spiritual integrity of holiness before God. You know, sometimes we try and maintain that spiritual integrity before other people. That, by the way, is futile. It's a dead end. Because what happens is we start comparing ourselves with others, and, and pride can set in very quickly. But this was a strict standard set by God, for God, for His glory. These laws had a purpose, and that was to illustrate that there was purity among those who were called to serve the Lord in such a way and were separated. They were a unique group. But most importantly, just with this in regards to separating themselves from death, you could say from from dead uh, bodies, was the separation from sin. That's what it illustrates as we look back at these laws at that time. Because a dead body is a picture of the result of sin in this world. Of which God had warned Adam in Genesis chapter 2 verse 17. It's this tree you are not to eat of. Right? But the moment you do, you shall shall surely die. And we know that that is a reality. As we are, if we are in Adam and not in Christ. If we have not known salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then we are in Adam, and we therefore know what, it, what spiritual deadness is. We are spiritually dead in Adam and made alive in Christ. We are resurrected to new life. The prohibition of touching a dead body included being in the same room as a corpse. It wasn't just that you touch the body, but also that, that you not be in the same room as a corpse, walking over a grave even, is what we know, or even touching a tomb. And of course, what we see here is the exception for a priest is that of immediate family. So for the regular priest, you could say there were, there were exceptions, and that was for immediate family only, but strictly prohibited for anyone else. So this again is for the priest to maintain their holiness within the priesthood. For the whole purpose of serving the Lord. Also there was uh, in verse 5. These mourning practices that were prohibited by the Lord. Verse 5 says. They shall not make bald patches on their heads. Nor shave off the edges of their beards. Nor make any cuts on their body. Seems kind of strange right? Bald patches. I I don't want bald patches anyway. You know, and kind of round out my goatee or my beard or anything like that. It seems strange. But then when we come to um, understand and realize that what this was, what it represented, was these mourning practices that were common amongst the pagans, the Canaanites. Uh, Then we begin to understand, oh, these were practices that were held to by the world. And so, of course... The Lord is telling the Israelites, these are not to be mimicked. They are not for you to participate in. Pagans mourned this way. But this was not the way that the Israelites were to mourn. Again, this speaks of separation from the world, maintaining a distinction toward God 
and from the world. A dedication and commitment to God without spot or blemish that comes with compromise with the world. A so-called blending in, you know, just kind of going along with what the world does and mimicking them. Of course, we can do that if we don't have our eyes fixed on the Lord. And so God set these standards. Now, for us, we can look at the practices of the world today. And it may not be these specific ways in which we can mimic the world, but there are other ways in which the world mourns. We don't mourn as a world does, for we have a certain hope, right? We may miss someone who we've lost through death. And yet in Christ, we can truly say without a shadow of a doubt, I miss you physically right now, your presence, but I know one day, as King David said about his, his son that had died, he can't come to me, but I'm going to him. And one day, you'll be re- reunited again. So, we don't, we don't mourn, we don't... We are not without hope at all. And we ought to not mourn as the world does. As we go on, we're going to take a look here at verses 6 through 9, the marriage standards of the priesthood. So they were allowed to marry, but these were the standards. So let's take a look at verse 9. It says, They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God. Therefore they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband. For the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of my priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. And again, as we read this, it illustrates the standards that are to be kept by those who represented God to the people and the people to God by desiring to maintain a purity in all aspects of their lives, including their marriages. They were to only marry virgins, those who were pure. The daughter of any priest had a responsibility to remain pure. This was covered under the general laws of Israel. We know that to be certain, for that to be true. But there's a special mention here for the priests. Something that they are to keep to. Again, again, going back to 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now we know in the selection of elders and deacons... This had to be true of him and his household for the priesthood. So they were, they were held to a higher standard to serve in this manner. For the priesthood, this was the standard that was to be kept. There is a responsibility for the parents, as we also see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. But there is also responsibility that the children have to honor their parents. As seen in Ephesians chapter 6, the first three verses of that chapter. And we also know that it's throughout Scripture. So this was important. 
to maintain a purity within the family, within the marriage, and even within the daughter of a priest, what was required is, is she maintain her purity. Now, one of the things that we see here is that her sin actually would impact her father. And as it says there in verse 9, it says, And the daughter of any priest, if, the, if she profanes herself by whoring, so she profanes herself, but she also profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. I, you know, one of the things that we look to, this is the law, this is the Mosaic law. We know this is not the, something that we adhere to today, obviously, and thank God for God's grace, Right? But it's very serious at that time, just as it is today. Today we have condemnation. If we remain outside of Christ, there remains condemnation. In Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that as if and when we sin, we are to ask for forgiveness. And God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So with this, today I need to say... Also, God's grace covers all. At the same time, we need to walk through that grace and and come to a place to where we truly reflect and express our gratitude and thankfulness for God's grace. But we know that purity is emphasized and it's required right here for the Levitical priesthood to maintain. But for us today, we know that it says in the New Testament that we are to be holy, for God is holy. Right? So let's take a look also at the parameters of the high priest. Verse 20, or I mean, verse 10. The priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. He shall not go into any dead bodies, nor make himself unclean, even for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or divorced woman, or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute. These he shall not marry, but he shall take as his wife... A virgin of his own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people, for I am the Lord who sanctifies him. There are several things that we have here. Number one is the uncovering of the head, letting the hair of his head hang loose, is the way it's described here. And there's also the tearing of the clothes. This was prohibited because they were considered to be excessive. They were considered to be unbridled. The tearing of the clothes was seen in response to blasphemy, as we, uh, like when the high priest regarded what Jesus said and claiming to be God to be blasphemy. But he is God, right? We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But that's. What we see here is considered to be, hey, this is prohibited. It's considered excessive, unbridled, and 
it was something, as you, as you look at the illustration of the high priest, in many ways he was to be even keel. Just uh, not given to doing anything in excess, especially like that. As we sometimes approach things in our lives, um, we sometimes go to the extremes, don't we? We go to one side or the other. And, and God always tells us, you know, He calls us in His Word to, again, not do things as others would, not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, right? And so there's this response as we get come to know the Word of God that is appropriate for the child of God. And so the high priest had to exemplify this. As this was, again, excessive and unbridled, it was not to be done by the high priests. Now, again, with a high priest, there's to be no contact with dead bodies. In this case, in the case of the high priest, it wasn't even for his mother or his father. Again, it's different for the high priest than it was for the other priests. Um, that's the other thing is that as I was looking at this and thinking about it, um, it says in James 3.1, this is for teachers. Now you have the congregation, you have the church itself, but then you have teachers within the church. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know, sometimes we, we want to be quick to get in there and teach. I, w- I want that spot. I want to do that. But what we really need to understand is that the person who is given to teach is, as James 3.1 says, going to be judged with greater strictness. It brought me to that because I was thinking of the high priest. The high priest, just as anyone who is serving in any um, transparent or upfront um, place within the church, understands that you can't really do some things that others perhaps have the liberty to do. You are to serve as... An example that people look to. This was a very strict law that the Lord was communicating to Moses to pass along to the high priests. In the exception with the high priests is that they couldn't even have contact with a mother or a father who had died. It was strict and at the same time That is what was required to whom much is given. As it says in Luke 12, verse 48, much is required. And so this was one of those things that had to uh, make them distinctive from the other priests. It was different. Now regarding marriage, no widows, divorcees, defiled, or prostitutes. The first question is, why is prostitution mentioned here? That should be like a given, no? No. No prostitutes. You're talking about divorcees, no widows, the defiled. Okay, I understand. But, man, here, here it goes. Prostitutes as well. well. Well, it was a common cultic practice of the Canaanites. 
And this was to be practiced nowhere near or within God's people. Again, you know, these are one of those specifics. Hey, listen, this thing is practiced by the world. It should not happen within the church. How many things outside in the world are creeping into the church in our common practice? And it's a compromise. And it was especially important for the priests here and the high priest to exemplify this consecration unto the Lord and maintain their spiritual integrity, including their marriage. By the way, marriage is not separate from Sunday worship. For many time coming together with the body of Christ. Today, Christians are called to not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, but they challenge God. And take matters into their own hands. I see this all the time. You guys know the term behind that, right? I'm doing a little missionary dating. It happens all the time. People get ahead of God. And they go out and feel like they can deviate from God's word in this place only to reap the consequences of being torn from a relationship they may have once enjoyed with Jesus. I, I've, by the way, have never seen someone, um, at least that I've experienced, um, gain a closer relationship with the Lord by going out and dating amongst the world. I've never seen that. In fact, I've seen quite the opposite. You see them going, 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 gone. I see that over and over again. People often separate their marriage from their relationship with God like as if it was separate. But there is no place in a believer's life that is not included, not inclusive in the relationship with God, including marriage. Everything is inclusive. You come to the Lord, everything is given to Him. Sometimes we want to compartmentalize and... You can take a look at everything. You can go through everything that I give you permission to go through, God. But this area right here, well, that's kind of separate. I'm going to re- keep that over in this area. No, no, no. Every, everything is handed over to the Lord. That he may be glorified in every aspect of our lives. In 1 Corinthians seven twelve through 16... This section of scripture deals with the case where one spouse is a believer and the other is not. Now, if the unbelieving spouse is willing to remain married to the believing spouse, then the believing spouse is not to separate. They are to remain. And that's for his sake or her sake. Depends on which one is a believing spouse. And it's also for the sake of the children. But if the unbelieving spouse wants to divorce and leave the marriage, then the believing spouse is free to grant that divorce. We know that. At the same time, held in tension is the fact that God hates divorce. Right? That's not something that he, he desires for anyone. Along with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? You see, marriage is a, is a picture of the relationship with Jesus Christ in the church. 
So we have that before us in marriage. That's what it's supposed to exemplify and illustrate in this world. And so any tearing away of that is not right. And, and as it says here, you know, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? If, if, if that's a picture of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, how is it that righteousness, Jesus Christ, would have any partnership with lawlessness? He, he doesn't. Not amongst his people. Not a part of his body. Or what fellowship has light with darkness. And that's why we need to be very careful. Be very careful. We can't compartmentalize. We can't restrict one area of our lives. We can't separate our marriage or anything else in our lives. We have to completely submit it to the Lord. Again, God is calling for holiness. That was the standard. That is the standard, by the way, even today. Same and even more so for the high priest as for the priest. As we see here, they were to maintain a spiritual purity in marriage and were to only marry from the Israelites and that, that person who was a virgin. Okay, so let's continue in verse 21. Verse 21, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near. A man blind or lame, or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man with a defect in his sight, or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring... Of Aaron, the priest, who has a blemish, shall come near to, the off, to offer the Lord's food offerings. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy things. But he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar, because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them." So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. So we're talking about service unto the Lord. And in today's world, this may seem a bit harsh, a bit unsettling, because it appears that God discriminates on the basis of appearance. But that's not the message that he's communicating here. There, there's a deeper one. There's the surface. But, but there's, there's a message here. There's something that is much deeper than what we see on the surface. By the way, this is still the standard today. That no man can appear before God who is stained and blemished. Who is lame or blind, deaf or mute. A person who has any def- defect cannot come before God. But it's not a physical defect that keeps people from God, but a spiritual one. There are many people today that they say, well, you know, he he discriminates and he made me this way. And so therefore I'm going to come to him this way and I'm going to approach him in this manner. And because he's love, 
He's going to receive me this way. But what we need to understand is this is still a requirement today. But we're, we're seeing this today as far as this law. Today, the reality of defects is they're found in sin. We can't come to the Lord remaining in our sin. In God's law, in the Old Testament, we see so many illustrations. We know that it is a shadow of the substance, of the substance of Jesus Christ. He is a fulfillment of the law. In Him, we are justified. In Him, we are made righteous. And even this was satisfied in Christ Jesus, as in Him we are covered by the righteousness of Christ, and therefore able to come before the Father without blemish or defect from sin. Again, this may seem very harsh. You know, you look at the Old Testament, but these were the requirements. As you look forward to the New Testament, as you look at how it is that we are to come to the Lord, we can look at this and understand that that this was an illustration of a spiritual reality today. By the way, these physical defects only prohibited them from public service of God in the tabernacle. This did not keep any one of them away from or prohibiting them from fellowshipping and worshiping God. So, again, this whole book, this whole this chapter right here is calling on a standard for the priesthood to maintain holiness before the Lord. Again, keeping in mind that they were representing God to the people and the people to God. This was to be taken very seriously. But for us today, in Christ, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, holiness is not something that we can achieve. Sometimes we act that way, don't we? I mean, I, I know I have. It's like, ah, if I do, you know, these steps, one, two, three, A, B, C, you know, I'll, I'll be holy. And we have to be reminded that that's not the way we achieve holiness. It's not by what we do. It's, what he, it's by what he's done. We walk in. Holiness is, is something or someone that we walk in, abide in, and something we need to continually maintain before us. It's this, it's this mindset and heart set, this life set. It's always before us, making choices to remain separate from the world and unto the Lord and His righteousness. It's a, it's a proper response to the grace of God that He has demonstrated to us 
through Jesus Christ. So we choose these things because we love him. And we love him because he first loved us, right? When we fully come to understand that, these types of responses are ones that we desire, although not perfectly. We do submit humbly to his lordship in our lives, making choices to remain separate from the world and unto the Lord in his righteousness, because just as the priesthood represented God to the people and the people to God, we are Christ's ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. I'm going to close with this. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Father, we, um, we come to you this evening, Lord, understanding that there is an expectation, there's a requirement, there's a standard of holiness that we are to abide in as your people. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would help us to walk according to the spirit, that we would not fulfill the lust of our flesh. Lord, that as we are mindful of the things around us, and more importantly, that we're mindful of ourselves before you, a holy and righteous God. That we willingly and humbly submit ourselves to your Lordship. And as we come across Scripture, as something is revealed in our lives that is not of you, just as we see... The requirement is to be separate from those things which are practiced in the world for the priesthood. So it is for us. Lord, that we would repent of those things. Lord, we desire to be pleasing to you. And we ask and we cry out that you would help us and strengthen us in our weakness. That you would be glorified and reflected. Lord, your glory would be reflected in our lives to bless you and to encourage others to look to you. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.